the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and then we will look at Mark chapter 6. Amen. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. Okay, praise the Lord. Glad to be in the house of God tonight. Matthew chapter 14, while you're turning there, the title of the message is Miracles in Daily Life, or the Theology of Miracles in Daily Life, okay? So this is the next subject we're going to be covering. We've been talking about different things, Theology of Daily Life, and tonight we're going to talk about miracles. How many of y'all believe in miracles? Hallelujah. Okay, you have your Bibles open to Matthew the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 22. Amen. It says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Now you'll remember this is after the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, that's important to know. So he constrained his disciples to get into his ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, or a ghost. It was a ghost. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was coming, come down out of the ship he walked on the water to go to Jesus but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and began to sink he cried saying Lord save me and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand caught him and said unto him O thou of little faith wherefore didst thou doubt when they were come into the ship wind ceased Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And straightway he constrained the disciples to get into the ship, to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. When he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. When evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, he alone on the land. He saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. They all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. He went up unto them into the ship. The wind ceased, 
and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened let's pray father we come before you right now we ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word we thank you god today that you are faithful that you're here present with us that you are a miracle working god all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus name amen you may be seated in the name of the Lord definition let's define a miracle okay in everyday language the word miracle is used in a way that's really not a miracle but for example Whenever a child is born, people say about the child that's born, it's a miracle. And the reason why they say that is because it's such a mystery and it's such a wonderful event. Okay, so they say it's a miracle, right? Well, that's one way that people look at a miracle in the day is something that is so marvelous. You just can't really explain it. And so you call just something that happens all the time, like the birth of a child, that's a miracle. Are y'all here with me? Other terms are used, like the term miracle drugs. How many of y'all ever heard of miracle drugs? Okay. A miracle drug, why do they call it a miracle drug? Because 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, that drug was not available. And so now these drugs that are, we have today are called miracle drugs because they literally can extend the life of human beings. Okay? So those drugs that weren't available 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago that are now available today that can extend human life, they call them miracle drugs. Well, is that a miracle? Is a drug a miracle? Well, they just call it that in everyday language. You with me here? All right, let's talk about sports a little bit. The term miracle is used in the realm of sports. Somebody goes out and makes a miraculous catch that saves the game. And they say, that was a miracle. Saved the game, that one catch. Well, was that a miracle? No, but it's a term that's used in everyday speech is what I'm talking about. Now, some people call it the Hail Mary. Now that goes way back. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Don't hold it against me. But we are in Texas. Okay, so if you're not a Texan fan and a Dallas Cowboy fan and you're some other fan, we're going to hold it against you. But anyway, okay. I mean, right, if you're in Texas, you're supposed to be a rooting for a Texas team. That's the way I look. Okay, anyway. Hail Mary goes long ways, right? Roger back through that pass and the receiver caught it. They call it a Hail Mary. It saved the game. It's like a miracle event, right? Well, I'm sure y'all have heard of that in relationship to sports. But that, you know, that catch that saved the game, is that really a miracle? No, it's not really a miracle. But that's the term that's used in everyday language. Or for example, the, the selling of products, consumer products. 
they call one thing that you can spread on bread, miracle. You know, because, you know, it's just the way that it, it spreads on the bread. It's so smooth, you know. So we're going to call it miracle whip. Just because you can spread something smoothly on a piece of bread don't mean it's a miracle, but that's the way it's used in everyday language. So you know what I'm talking about. Now, when the philosophers talk about a miracle, they define a miracle this way. It is something that goes contrary to nature. Right? Contrary to the natural way things that normally happen. Okay? So, you have the natural uh, results, uh, you know, what things normally happen in nature, but all something that is outside of the natural takes place, and the philosophers say, wow, that's a miracle because it didn't follow according to the natural way of doing things. Amen. And I think that also can flow over to the biblical definition that. Uh, it goes beyond natural occurrence, the natural, normal way of things happening. But when you come to the Bible, the biblical definition of a miracle, first of all, in the Greek and the Hebrew, the term miracle is not there. Okay? It comes from the Latin word miraculum. Miraculum. Okay? So we get from miraculum, miracle. But. <clears throat> The Bible does use the term, but most of the time when you're talking about a miracle in the Bible, in the Hebrew language, very carefully, understand what a miracle is. A miracle in the Hebrew language is translated sometimes in the Bible, a wonder, okay? a marvel, something that you marvel at, something that is a wonderment, something basically... I mean, it'll make your eyes pop out. It's so, so amazing and so marvelous, okay? So something that is uh, a wonder, something that is a sign, something that is a marvel. Then in the New Testament, in the Greek, it'll be sort of like that as well. It'll be a sign, okay? It'll be a wonder. It'll be something that'll make you marvel at. And then the Greek word dynamis means power okay it's connected to the mighty deeds of God so having said all of that when you talk about a biblical definition of a miracle it's the signs wonders the marvels the power of God it's basically the act of God it is when God comes and does something supernatural now he doesn't oppose the natural flow of events but what he does is he supersedes it and, and he goes beyond the natural and he does something that only he can do. It is a supernatural event that God does, okay? And it signifies the presence of God is there. That, that only God could do something like that, okay? So basically, that's the Bible definition of a miracle. Now, when you talk about in the New Testament especially, the word miracle oftentimes has to do with a sign. Say a sign. Now, a sign means what? It's pointing to something else. Okay? It's not, for example, when you're going down the highway, and you're driving down the road, and you're going to a certain city, and you see this sign that says 100 miles, you know, to this city, do you get out of your car and go up there and look at that sign and say, 
okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This sign says 100 miles. No, what's the sign doing? It's pointing you on. It's pointing you forward. So you don't get out and look at the sign and go, wow, 100 miles to my destination. It's, it's something that's pointing you on to your destination. So the Bible, when God talks about miracles uh, in the New especially, they're signs, which means they're pointing to something else. And they're ultimately pointing to who Jesus is or what Jesus is going to do or is doing. It also points to His servants and He validates His servants. So when you would see a miracle take place, for example, Jesus said this, He said, I am the bread of life. He did a miracle. He took five loaves and two fishes, superseded nature, divided the five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 people. Really it was 15 to 20,000. Now how many of y'all can feed 15 to 20,000 people? 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fishes. Nobody. I can't do that. Only God can do that. So that was a miracle. But why did He work that miracle? And after He worked the miracle, He said, I am the bread of life. So the miracle that He just did was a sign. Don't stop and look at the sign and go, wow, look at that. It's saying, learn what the sign is about. That miracle is saying that Jesus is the true bread of life. So when He, when he worked that miracle, it was a sign to teach everybody that Jesus Christ is the one that gives you eternal life. So He says, I'm the bread of life. And in another place, He says, I am the light of the world. And what does He do? He heals a blind man. And everybody can look, wow, God just healed a blind man. You know, and be so caught up in it. Obviously, you'd be amazed and marvel at that. That the man got physically healed of his blindness. But that wasn't the point. The point wasn't that Jesus could just heal a person of physical blindness, but He could also take away a person's spiritual blindness. So He, could, he would say, I am the light of the world. Or He walks up to the tomb of Lazarus and He Lazarus, come forth. And a man that was dead in the grave four days comes walking out of the grave. Amen. That's a miracle. And so what does the miracle say? What's the sign pointing to? Jesus says this in the context of that. I am the resurrection and I am the life. So when you look at miracles in the Bible, oftentimes they are to point to you a reality of who Jesus is and what He's doing. And then His servants in the book of Acts, they would work miracles, signs, and wonders. And when they did, obviously it caused everybody to be amazed and to marvel at the mighty powers and deeds of God. Why, did, why, would, why would God do that through His servants? To validate His apostles and His prophets that what they were saying, what they were preaching was the truth. Amen? So you need to understand when we talk about a miracle, what does it mean? It means an act of God. But most of the time, it's not just about God doing some supernatural physical thing. God is trying to teach you something about Himself 
what he says is true or he's trying to validate a ministry. Is everybody with me here by that miracle? All right, say praise the Lord. Now that means if you're in the church today, God can use you to work miracles. In Mark 16, 15, verse 20, it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. If you're a believer, the Bible says, you're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. It says you're going to speak with new tongues. If you drink any deadly thing, it'll not hurt you. Are y'all here with me today? So as a believer, you have the supernatural power of God in you to work miracles as well. I think you understand. Now, other religions, miracles take place in other religions as well. Not just Christianity. But there's a difference. Because most of the time when miracles take place in other religions, they use some kind of prop. They'll use, now what you want, you got to get this, okay? They'll use a ring, an amulet, a charm, a root, some kind of object, magical object, that they will use to work the miracle. And sometimes those miracles take place. Supernatural events. Okay? But when Jesus Christ works miracles, listen, listen. Jesus didn't use props. Okay? I can only think of one, one time in my spirit as I was preparing where Jesus used something in the miracle. Oh, you know, yeah, I used five loaves and two fish, but I'm talking about as a prop. The only one I could think of was when he took mud and he put it on the blind man's eyes and he told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam and the man, when he went to wash the pool of Siloam, he was healed. But the, the mud wasn't uh, the prop. The mud wasn't what caused the miracle to take place. What that was teaching you is the one that made Adam in the Garden of Eden from the dust of the ground. The Creator God is the one that now is going to take mud and make new eyeballs. So the point is, it wasn't the mud that did the miracle. He still did the miracle. All He did was speak the Word. I want you got to get this. you got to get this. All Jesus did, that's the difference between the miracles that Jesus did or the apostles did from other religions, is they used a lot of props. But Jesus doesn't use props. He just speaks the Word. And when He speaks the Word, the miracle takes place. That's extremely important. Because if you're not careful, you'll, you'll see maybe people that work miracles in other religions. And they're doing certain things and they're using props or whatever. And if we're not careful, we want to adopt those things. We don't have to. All we got to do is the name of Jesus... The name of Jesus and the Word of Jesus is what does it. If you need a miracle, all we got to do is pray over you in the name of Jesus Christ and you can receive a miracle without us getting a root or a rabbit's foot or any kind of props to make it happen. Is everybody with me? Now, does miracle, do miracles take place today? How many of y'all believe miracles take place today? Well, I'm looking at some of you, your miracles. And in, in the genuine sense of the Word. You are a miracle. Because when you first started beginning to move toward God, you were under the control and power of sin. Sin controlled your life. And you were trying to break free from it. And you couldn't break free from it. You couldn't be victorious over it. 
And then Jesus, when you made a move to Him, and you repented of that sin, God gave you the ability to be free from that sin. When you were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, those sins were remitted. And you arose literally to walk in newness of life. You became a brand new person. Having repented, baptized, and then filled with the Holy Ghost. You are a miracle in that sense. But God also works miracles today externally. Okay? Not just freeing us from the power of sin or relationships, but also externally. Especially when you talk about the foreign field. Okay? In the foreign field, there are mountains, there are trees, there are certain places that are dedicated to false gods. And they will gather there in the name of that false god. And a missionary, when he goes into the foreign field, oftentimes will have to confront the local deities that are false gods there that are in charge of the mountains and the trees and so on and so forth. And so what God will do, He'll work a special miracle through those missionaries. If that tree is claimed to belong to a certain deity, God will strike that tree with lightning and burn it up. Amen? So special miracles can take place so that the people that are in bondage to those false deities can recognize that the true King of kings and Lord of lords has just showed up and now salvation power is here and and get them to turn from false gods to the true and the living God so literally external miracles take place today especially in the mission field. I don't know if you know about this or not but in the Muslim countries those that worship uh, in the Muslim faith a lot of them will testify that they had a dream or a vision of Jesus coming to them. That's a miracle. I can't say Jesus. I've never uh, had in a time in my life where Jesus came to me and spoke to me in a dream or a vision. He might. He sent me a vision, a few here and there, but He Himself never has come to me. Now, there may be a few, and I know maybe one here that I'm thinking about uh, that that the Lord speaks to her that way. You know, uh, that. But that's a miracle. My point. That's a miracle. But in, the, in like those foreign countries, Muslim countries that are in the bondage to the Muslim faith, you'll hear them testify that over there in those countries that are, that are really shut down in a false religion, a Muslim, they will say, I had a dream of Jesus. Jesus came to me in a dream. And they converted to Christianity as a result of that external miracle that had taken place. Amen? Say praise the Lord. So just to give you a little bit of an idea about miracles. Now let me get into the text I read to you. Because we have a miracle here that is taking place. In fact, we have many, many miracles in this passage. And the Bible says that it caused the disciples to wonder. It caused them to marvel. And what was it? They saw Jesus walking on the water. It was a miracle. Now, as far as I know, there's only two men that have ever walked on the water. Now, that doesn't mean that there might not be some more that I don't know about. But as far as I know from the Bible, there's only two men that has ever walked on the water. How many of y'all walked on the water? Waiting. 
well, I wasn't expecting anybody here to lift their hand that you walked on the water. And I know some of you, you got a swimming pool and you've tried it. And you didn't make it but a couple of feet and you were at the bottom of the pool. I mean, you do good to swim, much less walk on water. So I didn't expect anybody here to lift their hands and say, I've walked on the water. This is one of the greatest miracles that Jesus Christ did in the New Testament. Was that he literally did walk on the water. And then Peter, the second man in the Bible that I know, he walked on the water too. Only two people walked on the water. And it was a genuine miracle. But we need to see what the miracle was saying. We need to understand as the people of God tonight, what is this miracle about? Why did Jesus walk on the water? Why did Jesus do what He did? What was the situation that the disciples were in when He came? How was it all set up? What happened to Peter when Peter said, Bid me, Lord, to come upon the water? What happened? There is important for us to understand because it will help you and it will encourage you today. It will strengthen you. It will help you understand some things that you need to have today. Because Jesus works in a miracle today that's similar to this miracle here. So in Matthew chapter 14, let's look at it. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. Probably 15, 20,000 people were fed five loaves and two fishes from the hands of Jesus. What an awesome miracle from the bread of life. And then He looks at His disciples as He's dismissing the crowd of people. And He tells them to get into this ship. He constrains them. He tells them, get in the ship. Now, first of the thing I want to tell you is that this, this was not a little bitty old dinghy. Y'all know what a dinghy is? It's just a little bitty old, you know, dinghy is a little old life raft. If you think that the boat that Jesus was talking about was a little bitty old dinghy, you're wrong. This thing was large. This, this, this was a ship. This, this ship could literally hold hundreds and hundreds of fish. It was huge. And we know that it had 13 people on it. Jesus plus the 12 disciples. That's a big, that's a pretty good, it's not a dinghy, it's a, the point is it's a big ship. Okay? And the plane or the top of that ship could be two, three, four feet above the water. Now that's all important. Might not seem important, but it is. The ship is not like right here level with the water. It's two, three, four feet above the water. So for you to get into the water means you're going to have to get over the side of it and literally drop down into the deep and into the darkness. Okay? So this was a huge, huge ship that they were getting upon. Now the Bible tells us to begin with, Jesus sent the twelve disciples out there and He wasn't in the boat. And then all of a sudden, when they're out there in the sea, they begin to get in a storm. The wind began to blow. The storm began to converge upon them. The Bible says the winds were contrary to them. That means the winds were fighting them. The 
the storm was intense, so intense that Mark says the storm tormented them. They were being tormented, brothers and sisters, literally tormented by this storm. And the Bible says as the winds fighting them, coming against them and tormenting them, man, they're rowing with those oars, with everything they got. And they row and they row and they row with everything they got. And the storm keeps raging and the winds keep blowing and they keep rowing and the winds keep fighting them and there's no Jesus. After He sent them away, He goes up into the mountain apart to pray. And He notices... He knows, because He knows all things as God. He knows His disciples are out there on the Sea of Galilee rowing for their life with everything in them. Just trying to stay afloat. He knows they're full of fear. He knows they're in trouble. He knows that the winds are coming against them and tormenting them. And He doesn't come. He leaves them out there in the storm. The first watch comes and goes. The second watch comes and goes. The third watch comes and goes. All through the night until about 4 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. They're tired. The storm's fighting them. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, Jesus that is not there decides to come to them. But He has allowed them and He's waited for them to get in this place. And it looks like in their minds, it's over. It looks like they can't go on any further. In their mind, they're full of fear. They're troubled. They're wore out. Exasperated. And then the fourth watch of the night, somewhere around four o'clock in the morning. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a battle like a storm. And you would love to see Jesus come and just calm the storm and everything be okay. But He doesn't come. And He leaves you in that storm. And you're fighting and you're rowing and you're fight the wind's pressing against you and you're tired and it's late at night and all of these things are happening saying, where is Jesus? Why isn't He coming and helping me in this storm? And then the fourth watch of the night. Four o'clock in the morning. He comes walking to them on the water. See, a lot of times we don't understand God has literally not just allowed us to be in a storm, but He has literally put us in the storm. He put them in the storm. He put them in the boat. He put them in the middle of the sea. He, he knew this was all going to happen. He literally put them in the storm. And He waited, and He waited, and He waited, and He waited, and He didn't help them. He put them in that situation. And then He comes walking on the water to them. See, oftentimes the storms that God puts you in, if you're not in a storm right now, this Word is probably boring to you. But if you're in a storm like I'm talking about that's so long 
and it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And it just, God is not bringing an end to it. It just won't stop. And it seems like it's only getting more intense and the waves are getting heavier and the wind's blowing stronger. If you're not in anything like that, this is boring to you. But tonight, if you're in a storm that just won't relent and you can't see Jesus coming and fixing it for you, then this message is for you. Because you need to know that the Lord will place you into these situations and me into these situations and literally use that as a vehicle to come to us. We don't realize it, but when we're in the storm, that's the vehicle He's using to get to you. And He comes walking on the storm. He comes walking on the waves. He comes walking on the water. The wind does not affect Him. The waves do not affect Him. Gravity does not affect Him. It's a miracle. He's walking on the water. And all of a sudden, these very, very tired disciples look up and they see Jesus walking on the water. And when they see Him, they're even more terrified. Because they say, it's a ghost. Well, as far as I know, there is no such thing as a ghost in the Bible. For all of you ghost lovers, I'm sorry. Maybe one, two scriptures I might could use to possibly talk to you about ghosts and give you a biblical uh, support for that. But for the most part, as far as I know, there's no such thing as ghosts. Say amen. But in that culture, they believed in ghosts. And if a ghost were to show up in the situation that you were in, in that culture, what that was saying to you is that immediate doom is coming. So you can imagine as Jesus is walking on the water and they look up and they mistake Him as a ghost. In their minds, they're saying, our doom is fixing to take place. We're doomed. Because there's a ghost coming here, you know. That's the way the culture looked at it. It meant the end for them. But what, not only culturally, but what brought them to a place in their mind where they would say that Jesus was a ghost? Be irrational people. What happens to you, brothers and sisters, at times, when you and I get in certain situations, I mean, it's intense you'll begin to say things and do things and look at things irrationally because of the situation you're in. It produces a fear in us, an irrational fear. It's unnecessary. But we let it grip our souls. We become afraid, you know. Hey, that's a ghost. No, it's not a ghost. There's no such thing as a ghost. But our irrational fears begin to take control of our life because of the situations we find ourselves in. And so they said, it's a ghost. And Jesus makes His way to them. He said, no, it's not a ghost. He speaks to them. And He said, it is I. Or literally, ego in me. The same thing He used before. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. 
that same term I am the God who met Moses in Exodus chapter 3 in the burning bush I am that I am Isaiah chapter 44 the God that forgives sins Jesus said I am or it is me I'm not a ghost it's me it's Jesus and see what we need to understand is that when somebody came and knocked on your door in that day you would shout out who is it and they would simply respond it is I or I am it's me it's me it is I and as soon as that person said it's me or it is I obviously because they knew the voice of the person the point is this is that when Jesus comes their irrational fears because of what they were in caused him to think that he was a ghost but he says no he says I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you. And when I speak to you, you're going to know it's me. Your voices are His voice. When He said, it is I, that's all they needed to hear. Because then they knew it wasn't a ghost. They knew it was the Lord of glory. The one that met Moses on the backside of the wilderness that would part the Red Sea. They knew He's the one that said He would forgive us our sins. He's the God of the Old Testament and He's coming to them walking on the water in this miracle. It is I. And their fears were calmed. And God and Jesus gets in the boat with them. Okay, before I go to Peter, what we need to understand in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says something very interesting here to us about that miracle. Verse 51, He went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed. See the term amazed. In themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle, oh look at that, the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Why would Jesus, why would God put that verse there in relationship to the storm? that they were in. He said they didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. What he's saying is this, is that the God that took care of you yesterday, the God who met your need yesterday when He took five loaves and two fishes and fed you, that same God that took care of you yesterday is going to take care of your future. So don't let fear take control of your life. Don't let the winds that are trying to come against you and fight against you and, 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 and take your victory away. What the Lord is saying, what I, if I did it for you in the past, I'm going to do it for you in the future. He's the God that takes care of my future. And if they had just remembered, if they had just considered what the Lord had done for them before, when they got in the ship, the Bible says they would not have been troubled by that. But because their heart was hard, they forgot what He did for them in the past. Which tells you if He did it then, He can do it again. That's the point here. And they recognized who He was. 
because he came walking to them on the water. They recognized who he was because of the miracles of the five loaves and the two fishes. And they broke out in worship. That's what we should do in life. This, this morning, as I was preparing early this morning, this message, after getting through preparing, I walked into my, my bedroom. My wife was still was sleeping. I walked into my bedroom and I had this thought. I said, it wouldn't surprise me right now if it's around 4 o'clock. And I walked over and I looked at my clock and it was 4.20. See, God, I believe God got me up when He did to begin to prepare this message for you tonight. And when He came to them around 4 o'clock in the morning, a little after 4 o'clock in the morning, when I got done preparing the message, that's what time I went back to bed. A little after 4 o'clock in the morning. But before I did, I slipped it on my head and said, God, I said, you did it for me before, you'll do it for me again. That's the whole point. In remembering and considering the five loaves and the two fishes, the miracles that He did, is to let you know that God is in control. And right now, you may be in a storm and it's long and it won't quit. It just keeps on coming against you. And you're saying, when is this going to stop? And God is saying to you, I'm still God. I'm in charge. I'm in control. And no matter what you go through, if I took care of you and fed you, I'm going to take care of you in the future. So put your confidence in me and begin to worship Him and begin to praise Him because God is a God that you can depend on. God is a faithful God. But sometimes He'll put you to a test. Sometimes He'll put me to a test. And we'll say, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it in this one. I don't know if I'm going to survive. And God says, you forgot the miracle I did for you before. And I prayed over a situation that's going on right now. You know, not even with the church, but just other things. And I said, Lord, you did it for us before. You're going to do it for us again. Because I know, I know, that's real. It's reality. The normal course of nature. The normal outcome of everyday living and the battles and the storms and everything that we're in. That's reality, brothers and sisters. But I'm going to tell you something. When God is present and God gets ready to do an act, it goes beyond the natural occurrences of nature. And that's the God that I serve. I can't just go by what I see in the natural because I serve a God that can supersede the natural and make something happen when it looks impossible. That's my God. And God is coming to you right now in your trial and your test and your rowing you're tired it's late at night and you're weary but God is saying though it be long though it doesn't seem like it's going to end know that I am still God and I am present with you you were in a ship by yourself I never did leave you I knew exactly where you were all along the way and I can come to you on the vehicle of a storm I can work a miracle but you have to be the kind of person that walks by faith that's why he rebuked them because of their hardness of heart you and I can get so hardened when we're in the midst of a storm like this our hearts can get hard in our minds and and we start not believing and we start doubting. And God will come to you and rebuke you. And He'll say, don't you remember I did it for you before? 
haven't left. It might seem like I'm not showing up on your time. I know you want me to come in the first watch or the second watch or the third watch. But he said, no, I'm coming on my time. And when I come on my time, it's going to be a miracle. And you're going to know it. But you're going to know that I'm the God that took care of you yesterday. I'm still the God that's with you today. And I'm going to take care of you tomorrow. But you've got to start walking by faith. Not by your natural senses. And what you feel and what you see. God is a miracle working God. And he's worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshipped. It might look impossible. What you're in right now, the situation, might look impossible. It might be with men, but it's not impossible with God. All things are possible with God. But He will test your faith. And He'll test my faith. Even to the point where we start getting delusional. Even when we start getting to a point where we're irrational. And we're saying, Jesus, God, you're a ghost. That means the end is here. The Lord says, no, it's me. It is I. I'm here. I am that I am. I'm the eternal God. I'll take care of everything you need. How many of y'all believe God to be that way? See, listen, brothers and sisters. When I come to church, when I hear the Word of God preached, you know what I want to do? I want to do the Word with faith. The Bible talks about certain people who when they hear the Word of God, it doesn't profit them. Because they don't mix the Word of God with faith. But I, when I hear the, when I got ready this morning and I got through preparing, I lifted my hands and I said, God, I believe what I'm going to preach. I've seen you do it before. You're going to do it again. It's done. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter the words I'm hearing. God, you're still in charge. So let this be rebuked to all of us when we start getting discouraged and depressed and, you know, give ourselves a license to, to, you know, to not believe. Let it be a rebuke and let God come to us and say, you got a hard heart. you got a hard heart. God's still on the throne. God's still in charge. And if He doesn't change my circumstance, He's still with me. He's still God. And I've seen Him, and you've seen Him do it over and over and over and over again. He's worked for us in so many ways. So many supernatural miracles have come to all of us almost on a daily basis. And then we look and we say, where's God? God says, don't you remember what I did for you yesterday? He said, I'm the same God. I, I got your tomorrow. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got your tomorrow. If He took care of my past, He's got my tomorrow. I rebuke, I rebuke unbelief. I rebuke you. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. It's all about walking by faith. It's saying, Jesus, I will worship you. I will not panic. I will not fear. I will not yield to temptation. I will not yield to, to a given in to irrational thoughts. I believe you, God. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. And if you put me in this test, you did it for a reason. If you're not coming when I want you to, you're working on me. Because I know He can do it. He can do it anytime He wants to. He can step in and work a miracle anytime He wants to. Peter, when he sees Jesus walking on the water, please sit down. You can stand right there. I like you there. I like you there. You're like an angel. An angel. 
he's like an angel. I'm, I'm still determining what's over here. Now he's angel too. But Jesus comes walking on the water, and as he begins to approach the ship, one of the disciples named Peter, you know the crazy one. Hey, he says, I'd like to do that. That's cool. I'd like to walk on water. I've never seen this before. Lord, bid me to come on the water. Now, when, when this is preached, oftentimes it's looked at two ways. Number one, it's preached, don't do what Peter did. And that is, take your eyes off of Jesus. And then number two, it's preached, be like Peter. Get out there by faith. Amen? Trust God for supernatural things. So which is it? Don't be like Peter or be like Peter? It's preached both ways. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say they're both right. Just to cover the bases right, we're safe, we're good, because it's, it's both right. So don't be like Peter in the sense that when you get out there, you lose sight of Jesus. But on the other hand, be like Peter and get out of your boat. If you will, sorry for the phrase that's often used, get out of your comfort zone. Exercise a little bit of faith. Don't be so comfortable with, your, with the pew you're sitting on. Why don't you get, a, get up off your pew and step out into the deep here. Now, okay, you with me here? Okay. okay so, don't be like Peter and take your eyes off of Jesus. But be like Peter because you're willing to get out of the boat you're in. Amen, amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, he gets out of the boat. Now, as I said before, that's two, three, four foot high off the top of the water. So when he gets you know, out of the boat, it's not like, like I said, a dinghy where he's going to get out and he's like, okay. Put his foot there in the water. Okay, yeah, right there. Here's the boat. No. When he gets up out of that boat, he's dropping possibly four foot. Okay? And it's dark. And don't forget, there's a storm. All right? And what does he do? He gets out of the boat. He plunges into the deep and into the darkness. And at first, he starts walking. And he's walking on the water just like Jesus. Okay? So before you and I start correcting Peter and say, well, we don't want to be like Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus. Which, how many of you have ever even begun to walk on the water? Amen. So he drops maybe three or four feet. He starts walking. He's doing real good. And then all of a sudden, he gets distracted. And he starts noticing the wind and the storm. And, and it comes to him. Rational thought. What am I doing here? I shouldn't be doing this. What, what am I doing here? I mean... I see Jesus' hair being blown back by gale force winds. I see the mat, the you know, the sails of the ship being blown around up there. You know, I feel my clothes beating against my body. You know, what 
am I doing here? And the Bible says he begins to go down. He starts sinking. It is true, he should have kept his eyes on Jesus. But that's not the point of the message. Jesus, the Bible says, as Peter is going down, he saves him from a catastrophe. Peter cries out, Save me, Lord. And Jesus catches him by the hand and keeps him from sinking. What I'm trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, is what this story is really all about. It's not to teach you to not keep take your eyes off of Jesus. What it's teaching you is when you have a failure in your life, when you falter in your faith, Jesus says to Peter, O ye of little faith, See, Jesus recognized that Peter had some faith. It took some faith to get up out of his seat. It took some faith for him to launch down into that water. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water. He had some faith to start. But he didn't have the faith to finish standing up tall. Oftentimes, we got the faith and Jesus will commend us for the faith that we have to get out of the boat and to start. The problem is, after we've been going for a while, we get distracted when we see everything around us, the circumstances around us, and at that point, we don't have the faith to keep on going. We don't have the faith to keep on standing up and stand tall. But the point is this, is that when you and I falter, or we fail at times in our faith, Jesus, He's got His eyes on you. The point of the story is not that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Sometime every one of us in this life will start out, but we start faltering, and we start failing, and we're not able to stand up at the end. And we take our eyes off of the Lord. But the Lord says, here's the point of the story. When you fail and you falter and you take your eyes on off of me, it's not going to be a catastrophe because I've still got my eyes on you. And because Jesus sees me and he sees you, even though you fail and you falter, it won't be a catastrophe. And all you got to do is cry out and say, Lord Jesus, save me and he'll reach up and he'll keep you from sinking he'll keep you from going into a catastrophic situation and I know many of you can relate to this because at times you have faith a little faith and you're like your pastor we have enough faith to get started we have enough faith to to experience a miracle but then after a while we start looking around and we start doubting and we falter and we fail and we start going down but Jesus says I still got my eyes on you even when you fail so don't panic like Peter when you get in a situation like that don't panic don't be afraid when you're tired and it's late 
don't be like Peter in the sense are y'all here with me today will you panic because God is with us he's with you though it be late and though you be tired Jesus says I haven't lost sight of you and that's the miracle brothers and sisters that should cause us to lift our hands and to worship God it's the God that can take care of my future just as easily as he's taken care of my past he's the God that when I falter and fail and take my eyes off of him he says to me I don't even need you to be looking at me All I do is keep my eye on you. So if you think it's all up to you to keep your eyes on Him, He said, no, you're not going to do that. So know this, when you don't do that, just know my eye is on you. And I'm going to keep you from sinking, man. I'm going to keep you from going down because I am that I am it is me Jesus says tonight to every one of us and I don't know about you but I choose to exercise my faith concerning the word of the Lord miracles still happen today when we know that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and he's called on us to walk by faith and when we don't keep our eyes on Him, He's got His eyes on me. And if it wasn't for that, I'd be a complete and total failure. I would have sunk a long time ago. Oftentimes, my good friend, Brother Edmonds, will tell me, he says, if this happens or that happens, he says, you're sunk. That's what he tells me. He says, you're sunk. And uh, next time he tells me that, I'm going to say, well... I might start sinking, but what's important is the Lord still got His eyes on me. Not that I have my eyes on Him. And I believe He'll save me from complete and total catastrophe. In fact, for many of us in this church tonight, if it had not been the God that I preached to you about, this great God of miracles, we would have sunk a long time ago. And every time that we ever get tempted to sort of take the credit, you know, because, yeah, I've been that loyal servant. And I've never taken my eyes off of Jesus. And and the Lord reminds you of what happened in your house yesterday or today. <laughs> or on your job or whatever. And uh, He said, it's okay. Because the mighty God who does mighty deeds that will cause your eyes to pop out. Amen. And marvelous expression. He's not only a mighty God, but He's a compassionate God. The compassionate God that's mighty is the God that cares for you. And don't ever forget that. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is with us. Amen. Would you stand? Father God, we thank You tonight for this, this message, this word of encouragement in this late hour compassed about with so many storms.
we thank you, Lord God, that you're in control. We put our, our faith and our confidence in you, the mighty God, the miracle-working God, who is compassionate and who cares for us. Believe God, brothers and sisters. Believe God. Believe God. Because God is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. May the Lord bless you real good. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.